I learned that in life, sometimes the journey is more important than the destination. War veteran, three-time world champion, two-time Paralympian, bronze medalist, triathlon coach, Dare to Try co-founder, motivational speaker, first female amputee of Iraq, mother, patriot, and now my guest on Passing the Torch podcast, Melissa Stockwell. Welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for uh, your service as well. Thank you. Was that a... <laughs> did I get everything in your bio? You're very accomplished. <laughs> um, mother. Mother of two. Yeah, my, I said, yeah, that's right. Uh, congrats on the baby. Oh, did I miss it? Maybe, maybe you said it. Maybe I missed it. I said it right before uh, Patriot, but uh, there's a lot of other things, so it's easy to, to miss that. And you just had a baby in August, right? I did, yep. I was a three-and-a-half-year-old and, a half year old and uh, almost nine-month-old, yep. Well, congrats on that. So you obviously have a lot going on. How do you balance everything with speaking, engage, speaking engagements, training, uh, your role with Dare to Try, and two kids under the age of uh, four? You know, I have a good team. I, my husband is supportive on pretty much everything I do. Um, I have, you know, we have babysitter's family, and it's all about, you know, time management, and um, I think including the family as well. So, you know, I, we had a Dare to Try event this weekend, and my family came. Um, if on the weekends, if I have a run or a bike that my family can, can join, you know, we can pull the kids along in the trailer behind the bike or push them in the jogging stroller. Yeah. So trying to just involve my family as much as I can. Um, and I'm lucky that when I am gone for, you know, speaking events or um, racing or more training that, you know, my husband kind of steps up and takes over. And it's, um, I mean, it's a, it's a busy life, but I think that's a good life. Busy is good. How's your training for Tokyo 2020 coming along? You know, that's, um, it, it's coming. It's, uh, you know, trying to come back from having a baby and, um, get back to where my comp- my competition is, who has not only they've gotten they got faster in the previous year when I was out last year having my daughter. So um, just trying to come back from that, it's really day by day. Um, you know, and I know not every workout's going to be perfect, and I um, you know I'm, I'm improving, which is all I can ask. So I still have a long way to go before um, I would make it to Tokyo, but um, the plan is to try to try to if I can make it there. My, my, my competitors are much younger um, and no family, so a very different dynamic, but uh, makes it even cooler if I can keep up. Before we dive into some deeper topics, I'm, I'm a big food person, so I have to I have to ask, because I follow you on Instagram and I, I follow your blog, and I see all the, the intense workouts you do and the hard training. So what's your go-to snack that when you want to have a cheat meal or just a, a mental break or physical break, what's, what's your go-to? Well, you caught me on a day where I'm trying to start starting to eat better so <laughs> i uh, i have the the worst sweet tooth of anybody i i can eat a, literally a pound of chocolate um quite easily i'm sure yeah so um anything sweet is my is be, would be my go-to um i'm all about whatever is not good for me that would be my favorite snack um but starting today of course you know it always starts today and we'll see how long it goes but yeah yeah um you know, I, I'm a big fan of um, stuff I can, I'm, I'm always on the go, so something I can grab on the go. I, yogurt, uh, Chobani yogurt I just ate after my ride, uh, banana and peanut butter is a favorite, hard-boiled eggs, um, those are kind of the things I, I will grab and go. So I saw that. Did you actually speak speak at the CIA recently? I did, about a, probably a month ago now. Yeah, it was awesome. It was, I felt so cool. I had yeah. my, you know, my my computer and my phone at the door and a lockbox and you know i felt like i was walking these infamous halls which they are and it was it was pretty awesome to be there 
Is that something you sh- I should add to your bio for the show notes? Is a uh, seek undercover yeah, I should, youth? I <laughs> yeah. Uh, were you were you nervous at all? Or were you more nervous speaking like during your TED talk? Probably more. The, 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 the TED talk is just it's such a different format than what I'm used to, and you have this countdown timer. And um, yeah, the TED talk was probably I'd say most nervous for that one. Um, but I, I speak so often that I, I don't often get nervous. I typically am pretty well prepared for. The speeches I do, and I've said my, my, you know, said it so much, I don't often get nervous, but any sort of different formats um, can kind of throw me off a little bit, but that's what uh, practice is for. I want to go back a little bit to uh, before 2004, because I want people to, just to help people understand who you are and what you're about. So just please, just uh, just talk about Melissa before the military. So growing up, I was always an athlete. I was a big gymnast growing up. I, yeah. Grew up in Minnesota and Georgia. Um, I was a big, um, I did a high school in Minnesota. was a big gymnast, track, diving. Um, so kind of always in, in living an athlete lifestyle with um, incredibly supportive parents. Um, always loved our country. Kind of thought I would go into the Army, but never, um, you know, I think you always think you're going to do some things, but you never actually do them. So yeah. this was something I always thought of doing, but. It wasn't until I kind of got to college and saw cadets and thought, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to do this and um, kind of make it a reality. So, you know, I lived a very, I feel like I lived a very blessed life, amazing parents, a good upbringing, you know, good neighborhood and um, great friends and just kind of always learned from a young age that we were pretty lucky in the things that we were able to do. Why Army and not any other service or any other branch? It was, it was, it was always, I know you, you'd be in Air Force, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, it, was always, it was always the Army. I, I don't really know why. It was just... You know, I maybe it's the first first time I saw in a uniform with army. I, I have no idea why. It was just never, uh, never a question. It was just always army. Where were you during nine eleven? I was in college. I was a senior in college. So, do you remember like, like how you felt that day at all? Oh yeah, I mean, I remember. You know, it was a Tuesday, so every Tuesday I wore my ROTC uniform, and um, I, I I rode my bike to school. So I was riding my bike with my uniform on and. Um, I didn't know if they were classes or not, and someone stopped me on the way to on the way into campus, and I said, "Are classes still going on?" And they said, "Not really," but I just assumed that my ROTC class would be going on because it was, you know, the army. Yeah. So um, rode in and uh, and just sitting in a classroom with kind of my, we all showed up, all my the fellow cadets, and we were all in our uniforms and kind of watching the news unfold on TV. And you know, that day our instructor kind of looked at us and said, "Today, you know, your lives are going to change. It's not a matter of." If you'll deploy, it's a matter of when. So kind of knew that my time would come, and a few years later, again. Yeah, so speaking of that, so two and a half years later, let's move forward to April 13th, uh, 2004. Do you remember that entire that entire day? I do, yeah. Yeah, I do. So was there, like, yeah. any, like, sense of just, just, it was just a normal day, right? Was there anything uh, before the actual, before you went on patrol that day? Um, it was, there was a big, the difference in the day is that I, um, so, yeah, I was a convoy commander. That was my job, so, like, leading a whole bunch of vehicles from one point to the next. And typically I'd be, like, sitting beside the driver. Yeah. And I'd be, you know, kind of in charge of everything. But I was just doing a ride along that day because the next day I was going to take over for the route and lead it. So I didn't really have a job. My job was to kind of learn the route because I was taking over the next day. Um, so instead of sitting, you know, next to the driver in the passenger seat, I was sitting behind the driver. So there were definitely some little things that were different than a typical day. It's pointless to go back and say, oh, well, what if it was this? I mean, it didn't really matter because it happened. And, um, you know, but yeah, I, I remember, um, yeah, I pretty much remember everything from that 
Do you care to like uh, go provide like a quick summary on it or no? Yeah, no. I mean, I talk about it so often that um, of course I. So it was, uh, you know, early morning, and we were going on a convoy from I was stationed in Taji, which is just north of Central Baghdad. Yeah. And we were going um, into um, the Green Zone, which is kind of in Central Baghdad. It was a kind of a cool place to go in Iraq because at the time it had. Saddam Hussein's palaces were still there, a few monuments, and it was kind of like something that everybody wanted to see. So um, kind of excited for the day. Like I said, I didn't really have a job, just having to, like, ride along. So um, got in the vehicle, and the day kind of started out, like, any other ride. And about 10 minutes in, we went under this um, underpass, this bridge, and this deafening explosion, this big boom went off, and... You know, the, the windshield crashed, the vehicle swerved, and we ended up crashing into this Iraqi woman's house. And, and I started to get out of the vehicle and looked out, and a bunch of blood, and I knew something probably was on the right. So I called out that I was hurt, and lucky for me, there was a combat medic about two vehicles back. Heard me calling out, he ran up, pulled me out of the vehicle, and um, I know now, 14 years later, that my leg was gone, but then been severed, and uh, the medic was, I mean, he was saving my life, not just administering first aid. So he got a tourniquet on, um, and ultimately I was put in the back of this, you know, this 510 vehicle. The medevac frequency for a helicopter to come get me wasn't working, so I was put in the back of this big 510 truck, driven to the nearest aid station where I was put on the helicopter and flown to the American hospital, you know, coincidentally enough, in, in the green zone. So went into a life-saving surgery there, um, was told there was a lot of blood being lost, and it wasn't until I woke up that um, the doctor next to me told me that my leg was gone, I didn't have it anymore. So, um, you know, I, I remember almost everything from that day. Obviously, I was, once I got to, um, you know, the field aid stations and the hospitals, uh, I got pain meds and it's a little bit fuzzy then, but up until then, I, I remember most of it. So up until that point, you were at the hospital in, in the green zone in Iraq. How soon until you got to Walter Reed? So I, got, so I lost my leg April 13 to 2004. I left Iraq um, the following day. April, you know what? It, it might even been that day. Um, but I flew to Lonshul, Germany, where I was for five days before they kind of stabilized. Make sure you're stabilized yeah. before making a long trip home. Um, and I got to Walter Reed on April 20th, so about a week. I don't remember exactly where I read it, but I read something that where you, you stated that you felt like you were one of the lucky ones. What specifically made you feel that way? So when I got to Walter so at the time, there, there's multiple military hospitals, and there were then, but at the time, in 2004, that's basically where all the wounded soldiers went from Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. So I, um, you know, I looked, there was a, a lot of us, it was still early on in the war, but there were still, you know, dozens of, of soldiers there, and looked around and, you know, saw others missing, you know, two limbs, three limbs, or eyesight, traumatic brain injuries, and kind of looked at myself and thought, you know, holy cow, I'm, I'm lucky, I just, I only lost one leg, and it really kind of put things in perspective pretty early on that it could have been a lot worse, I could have lost two limbs, I could have lost my eyesight, I mean, I yeah. lost my life, and too many do, too many give the ultimate sacrifice, so really considering myself one of the lucky ones and making a decision to, you know, take that, accept the loss of my leg, and move on into wanting to live my life for those that gave that ultimate sacrifice or those that no longer could. Did it change your perspective on the actual meaning of the word perspective? Yes, I, I would say so, you know, I mean, I think, it, like, things, everything's relative in life, right? Like, I, yeah. 
I don't. I would never wish for somebody to have to lose a leg and look around and see others that have lost more than them and put things in perspective. I mean, that's kind of a, a, a gory way to, to look at it. But something of that magnitude kind of helps you realize how, how lucky you are. I mean, not only did I have my life, I had three good limbs. And as I've moved forward, I mean, 14 years later, when things... I mean, I, I, I still my bad days. I mean, everyone has bad days, bad moments. And not, not about the loss of my leg, just about life in general. And when that stuff happens, I, I think I, it's almost like I can put things in perspective a little bit easier. I mean, if I'm having a bad day, I can think, you know what? At least I have a home to go home to. I have a warm roof over my head. I have an amazing family. I have yeah. children. So I think, you know, when something of that magnitude happens, it kind of helps put everything else in perspective along the way. As you were going through all the surgeries and therapy and just overall moving forward, was there anything you learned from your childhood childhood that helped you persevere uh, during this time in your life? I've always been very much like a dreamer and set big goals. And yeah. I think the fact that my parents like let me do that, they let me dream big. They never, you know, they never told me not to do something. They kind of just let me do what I, of course, it was dangerous. They told me not to. Yeah. <laughs> You know, they kind of just were always there right? and let me be who I wanted to be. And, right. Um, you know, and after I lost my leg, they were right there by my side. And a lot of times we kind of reassured each other that things were going to be okay. So I, I, I imagine that that, that, that helped um, just trying to, like, let me be me and, um, you know, accepting it and realizing that, okay, like, it, this was how it was going to be and let's just move on. So war is known to cause physical wounds. Something that might be looked overlooked is, is other types of wounds. For example, emotional, mental, and other forms of invisible wounds. What can we as a, as a society do to uh, help heal those invisible wounds? Um, I think the first part is to realize that they are, are very real. I mean, TBIs, TTS, I mean, those are very real. And they're invisible wounds of war. I mean, I can walk down the street and everyone says, oh, look, she's missing her leg. My, my wound is very visual. Um, so when I am running in a race, it's very easy for people to, for people to be like, oh, wow, that's look what she's overcome. So you have someone who has, you know, severe PTS, and success for them might be getting out of their house once a day and going to the grocery store. I mean, that could be a success story for them. So realizing that they are real, not taking, not taking them lightly, yeah. uh, being, being a, a, a friend, um, you know, and maybe being an ear to listen to, um, being, just really being there, I think, is the most important. I mean, it's, they're, they're, they're not as visual, but they are, um, I mean, I honestly think they're probably, because they're not visual, they're probably harder to deal with because nobody knows that you're dealing with it. And it can be, I mean, I, I'm thankful that I, I don't suffer severe effects from them. And it's just, it's got to be incredibly tough. So just kind of being there, being a friend and just, you know, realizing that they do exist. So what is your advice on how to persevere? And is that really something that can be taught? Oh, I think so. 100%. I think, I, I don't think people give their, give, I don't think people give their self a lot. A lot of times I speak and I, you know, say my story and someone comes up after me and they're like, oh, I could never do that. And I'm like, you know what? I think, I think you could. Like, I never thought I would lose my life. I never thought I'd be put in that situation. But when you are, I think you can kind of, you give yourself, you're able to do more than you think. So um, I just don't think we give ourselves we give ourselves enough credit on what we could do given the situation. So I think surround 
surrounding yourself with people that care about you, that want you to get better, that support you is, is key. Um, stepping out of your comfort zone is, is, is just as big because, I mean, I never, I, I never thought I'd be able to do the things I've done athletically without trying. And as I lay there in my hospital bed, did I think I would, you know, be, a, be an elite athlete? Did I think I would be a Paralympian? I mean, absolutely not. But I thought, you know what? Well, why not go and see if I can swim? Or why not get on the bike and see if I can bike? And it actually worked. And I, and I enjoyed it. And I was good at it. So stepping out of your comfort zone. There's so many organizations out there that support wounded veterans. Um, finding a team and just taking it day by day. I mean, what if someone listening now is missing a limb or in a spinal cord injury and lives there, if you want to be a Paralympian, I mean, it doesn't happen tomorrow. There's a lot of hard work. A lot of dedication that goes into it, but they dedicate themselves and just kind of take things, you know, day by day. Well, some great words of wisdom right there. I love it. Uh, do you really feel like life started after 2004 then? I feel like a new chapter started. You know, I I, I, had, a, I had a very good life, and, uh, you know, I look back at my life up to 2004, and I, mean, <coughs> I, I don't, I, I remember it because it was very much my life, but I feel like my like, real life journey started um in 2004 do you feel like you've turned basically personal tragedy into triumph yeah i do i do i think i i think if someone sees my story and embrace it that's like it's a kind of a cherry on top like i don't i don't do the things i do to inspire people but if that can help somebody overcome what they're dealing with that's kind of best case scenario but i do feel like my story is, is an example that something tragic can be turned into triumph so i mean it's exactly that i mean there's tragic moments there's a tragic days but it's not a tragic story so it's kind of an example that we can all kind of overcome things that come our way and you know end up even better on the other side so you were absolutely you're incredibly positive and one item that i noted was little legs birthday why do you choose to celebrate that day versus erasing it from your mind yeah, so Little Legs Birthday is every April 13th, every year, and we celebrate, we celebrate, so I, I named what's left in my leg on my left side, Little Leg, and instead of, like, being sad that day and, you know, thinking about how I lost my leg, I decided to celebrate the fact that I have my life and I have three good limbs and I have a great family and a great support system, and we celebrate it every year. It's become this, you know, big event where family and friends come in and, we celebrate, and we don't just celebrate, you know, little leg life or my life, but it's kind of a day that everybody, I, I hope that everybody that comes kind of reflects back on their life and realizes how lucky they are and is thankful for their own life. I think we get so caught up in the day-to-day things in life that we don't take time to, you know, step back and think about how lucky we are. So just really a day to be thankful, and it's, you know, one year, one day of the year that, that I have a party for it, but um, try to try to make it happen more often than not. No, I think that's really cool and just a, a way to really embrace it and just move, and move forward. I, I think that's uh, fantastic. It drives me to think, so with everything that you, uh, you've had happen in your life, how has your approach changed when dealing with challenges today? You know, I mean, we all have different challenges. I mean, I still have my challenges. I mean, I'm a mother to a three-and-a-half-year-old and a, a nine-month-old. I mean, that's yeah. like a <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think you just deal with them. I mean, I get worked up at little things still, but when I do, you know, maybe at the end of the day, I if I instead of focusing on those, I, I feel like I am able to focus more on the positive things. I've kind of trained myself that with every 
like, at the end of the day, if you're going over your day in your head and what you did, instead of kind of focusing on the negative, focus on the positive. And if a negative thought comes in my mind, like, oh, I, you know, I let my kid watch 20 more minutes of TV than you should have, which it's just like, you know what, that's life. Like, it happens when you think about the things that you did do that day. Well, you know, we did ride a bike for half. I, I don't know. That's, that's, that's just an example. But you just, you think about the good things that happened during the day instead of the bad things. No, again, just that's a great response because I was actually I was going to ask a follow up question was how is your approach? Uh, I'm sorry, uh, wh- when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused, you know what do you do? But I think you just you obviously just answered that and just focus on the positive. Yeah, and I mean it's easier said than done with starting out, but eventually if you do enough, it kind of wins over. And I've always been a positive person. Um, I'm sure to some, I'm like annoyingly positive sometimes, but it works for me. No, it's good. Besides being annoyingly positive, what new belief or beha- or uh, what new belief or behavior or habit since 2004 has most improved your life? Just being thankful. I don't know. I feel like that's kind of along the same line. Yeah. I, I'm just incredibly thankful, and especially now that I'm a mom. Um, I mean, being a mom is my most favorite job in the entire world. I mean, it trumps anything that I've done, and just, so obviously that's that's a newer role as of you know three and a half years ago, but. Just being thankful that I get to wake up every morning and with a roof over my head, go and have my, I have a refrigerator full of food, I have amazing kids, I have a great husband, and just just really being thankful, I guess. Because I know you're, you're a two-time uh, Paralympian and you're training for um, Tokyo 2020. What is a common misconception about Paralympians? Um, I would say that it, it's easier for us. I would say, I, I, th- I feel like sometimes people think you know, like, when I joined the military, I signed up on a piece of paper, and they handed me a uniform, and that was it. I was it. With the Paralympics, you don't just sign up and go. Like, we, yeah. Paralympians train just as hard as Olympic athletes. We put our lives on hold <laughs> to try to make this dream a reality. So, I mean, I have clients I have to meet. I have competitors I have to beat. It's not just, like, I'm able to, to sign up and go. So, I think people often think that that... Um, that it's easy for us to just go, and, and it's not. Um, the other thing, people often get us, um, you know, mixed up with the Special Olympics. The Special Olympics is for those with, just great in its own right, but it's for those with cognitive disabilities, not physical disabilities. So um, there is very much a difference. So I think that's just a misconception that the Paralympics um, is, is much different than the Special Olympics. I want to kind of steer to some lighter topics and just really go to get to know Melissa even deeper. In addition to being a world-class athlete, what else are you world-class at that people might not know about you or even be surprised at? Um, how much chocolate I can eat? We already talked about A pound, that. right? A pound. <laughs> hey, you're uh, in the CIA now, right? So you can just tell people, like, when they ask what your special skills are, and be like, uh, I don't have any fighting skills, but I can eat a pound of chocolate. I don't know how that uh, exactly. helps. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's basically it. Um, I... I'm a big country music fan, so I like to think I can, you know, belt out a pretty good tune. I really can't, but I pretend I can. Um, I'm decent at karaoke. Again, not so much the singing, but I can work a room. Yeah, that, that's probably, that, those are the first things that come to mind. What are some of the awkward questions you get just about your leg, and do you ever mess with people? Oh, yeah. Well, I do. It's kind of, so the airport is the best because, I mean, I'm in the airport a lot, and there are, you get the, I get the most random questions at the airport. Um, so I have a service dog, Jake. Um, he's kind of, he, he's, he's almost 
retired now because he's almost 11, so I don't bring him as much as I used to. But yeah. he used to travel with me and, um, you know, and I'd be standing there in shorts <laughs> with my prosthetic leg and somebody would turn around and say, oh, like, was he in the Army, meaning my dog? Like, not me, but my dog. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, no, like, I was in the Army. Like, trying to, like, motion to my leg that, duh, um, it was me. And, um, you know, other people have asked honest questions like, oh, like, what does your service dog do for you? And he kind of joked around that, oh, he can, you know, drive the car or he can fly a plane. And people, like, literally believe you sometimes, which is a little bit funny. I enjoy hearing about other people that know amputees, but, I mean, if you're an amputee, you will hear about, you know, someone's friend, cousin, sister's husband who is also an amputee, which, again, is great to hear about, but you kind of hear about all of it. Um, yeah. But, yeah, there's definitely some, some some interesting questions. I think the thing that um, anybody with a disability can kind of cringe at is, you know, being in a, like a grocery store and somebody coming up to you and saying, oh, I'm so glad that you're out, meaning, like, I'm glad that you're out of your house getting groceries. And as someone who is, you know, an elite athlete and who is, you know, very active, it, it's always hard not to kind of, you know, want to snip back and say, like, what, like, to say, I mean, people with disabilities can lead normal lives and, and yeah. are, so... I think people just don't give us enough credit sometimes on what, what we can do. But that happens more than you would think. So, so you're involved with a lot of different organizations. Uh, what is Dare to Try? So Dare to Try is a um, paratriathlon club here in Chicago. So co-founded co it back in 2011 with two other friends. And we get athletes with physical disabilities into the sport of triathlon. So basically anyone with, uh, you know, amputation, spinal cord injury, visual impairment, and if you go up to somebody with a physical disability and you say, how would you like to do a, a triathlon? They often say, oh, I could never do that. But they can't. We, have, we provide adaptive equipment. We provide coaching, training, um, yeah. ability to get to the starting line. And um, it's just remarkable when an athlete with a disability crosses their first finish line and just kind of seeing their self-confidence, their self-worth, and just um, realizing that, how much ability is, is in a disability. That sounds like a great uh, organization, and I've, I've been doing a little bit of research on it, and it's just, uh, that really is uh, just amazing things that Dare to Try is doing. I have one last question yeah, for you. Great. Let's just say you're driving down a highway, and I like to ask this question to every single guest. So you're driving down a highway, or you're, in your case, you might be cycling down, down a, high, a highway, and there's a giant billboard of you for everyone to see, <laughs> um, and it's your message to the world for everyone driving. So what would you want that billboard to say? And you've been interviewed by Katie Couric, so I take pride in that right now. Something, I, I, gosh, I don't know, something along the lines of, choose, like my, my TED Talk was called Choose Your Own Story. Like, or someone be your own, be your own rock star. Like, who cares what other people think? Like, be happy with who you are. Yeah. So something along those lines. Like, be your, be your own rock star. We'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to ask one, one bonus question because you said choose your own story or be your own rock star. I feel like one day a movie will be made about your life. Using only one word, this question might be tougher than the last one, sorry, in advance. But using only one word, what would the name of that movie be? Man, you're throwing out some hard ones. Um, can it be like four words? Sure, four words is fine. How about, how about The Adventures of Little Legs? <laughs> I like it. No, no takesies, backsies. No, that's obviously, no, no one's going to go for that. So I don't know. I don't know. Um... Yeah, that's tough. I'm going to have to think about that one. 
if people want to find out more just about your organization and just and you in general, where can people find you? Um, they can go to Dare D A R E the number two then T R I dot org, and they can find out all about it if they want to volunteer. Um, kind of our all of our events, and if anyone is in the Chicago area, um, you should come check it out. I promise you will not be disappointed. Melissa, thank you so much. I cannot tell you how humbled I am uh, for you to join my podcast, and you truly are inspirational. You know, for men, women, little kids, whatever. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, you're a hero, and I just, uh, again, just, just thank you so much for what you accomplished, for what you sacrificed, and for what you, you know, the reason, the reason I asked you to be on this show is, so again, my podcast is about leadership, mentorship, and inspiration, and you know, people taking those things to help improve and help out others, and I, and I feel like that's what you've done. You've taken something that's been a personal tragedy. And turning into and you turned it into a moral victory. So again, just uh, just thank you, thank you so much. Thank you, I really appreciate that. All right, everyone, that wraps up this episode of Passing the Torch podcast. My guest was Melissa Stockwell. If you like what you heard and you want to help spread the message, here's what I need you to do: like and share my Facebook page, Passing the Torch with Martin Foster. Also, subscribe to my podcast on iTunes and leave a positive review. Collectively, those two things right there takes maybe about five minutes, if that. But it really goes so far in just helping to move forward my, my show, my podcast, this positive movement that I'm, I'm really trying to make happen. So again, just do those things to help support me, just to be a part of something great. All right, everyone, that wraps it up. Remember, vision, relate, develop. Take care, everyone. Foster out.